What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode seven of The Young Startup for entrepreneurs who started young with one direction in mind. This is Eric, and today we get a chance to speak with Mike Sieben. Mike's in the Amazon wholesale business and also does mechanical engineering by day. Talk about a hustler. Born and raised in Canada, he started in the wholesale industry just two years ago and has been able to grow his business from a couple products to thousands of them. Uh, he's now on a mission to teach others on how to get started in the Amazon wholesale business. And today we dive exactly into what Amazon wholesale is, how you can get started. And we also talk about his program. He is the CEO, I guess you can call, or the owner of Elite Wholesale. Um, again, teaching people on how to build businesses in the Amazon wholesale space. Without further ado, let's get started. I'm super excited for you guys to tune in to this particular episode. Uh, we get really nitty gritty into Amazon and how it's changing the world today. All right. Welcome, welcome. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, today, we got a special guest here, fellow Canadian, Mike. Uh, is it Steven? Is that how you say your last name? Steven, that's right. Steven. Okay, man. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Cool, Mike. So, you know, first and foremost, typical as any podcast or any interview would start off with. Um, let's jump right into it. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. What got you into the Amazon space and also just entrepreneurship as a whole? Yeah, for sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Mike Sieben. I am a engineer as well as an Amazon seller. So I jumped into the Amazon space a little over two years ago. And as I was just telling the twins here, I actually started off in the drop shipping realm. So I'm sure a lot of people have kind of heard of drop shipping and probably even familiar with the model. So did that for a little bit, found that it wasn't a great fit for me. So took a few months off and then actually rejoined under the same account with a business partner, took him on and we didn't, haven't looked back and have been doing that ever since. So we're selling, you know, on Amazon through FBA doing the wholesale model now. So that's that's kind of how the journey has been. And I was introduced to the space, really just people over social media. I found myself gravita gravitating, sorry, towards that content, entrepreneurship, but then I found Amazon super intriguing. And I just really clicked with some of the people that I was following that I saw were in the space and, and were doing it on a day-to-day. -day. So I ended up reaching out got a mentorship through one of them. And then uh, the rest is history. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I mean, like one thing I've learned about the Amazon space is like community is so important and what comes with community is networking. And, and that's exactly, it seems like what happens to you. And that's, that's how we got started. Um, oddly enough, of course, as well. So for those of you guys listening, networking is huge, especially as you build a business, the, the more people you can surround yourself with, the more helpful it's going to be to your business, the easier it's going to be for you. Um, and building those relationships is going to be very beneficial for everybody. So I love that. Um, I had a question. Sorry, sorry one question here. <laughs> you guys will notice this. Every single person that listens to this podcast, we talk over each other because we always bounce ideas off each other. A lot of the time, it honestly is exactly the same stuff. <laughs> um, but one question that I had for you was, was mentorship. Um, we're firm believers in, in finding a mentor, someone that has been successful, can give you the framework. Um, what do you think your experience would have been like without a mentor? I find for myself personally, I work best with other people, which is why I was extremely 
interested in why I took the route of bringing on a business partner, just having someone to bounce ideas off of. But then when it comes specifically to mentorship, I found that I didn't really know what the first step was in this business. And I, I didn't really understand. And there's a lot of things to consider before you can actually just jump right into it. And so for me, that seemed like the easiest route. And it's something that I've always had ingrained in my mind, whether it's formal education, finding a mentor, buying a course, whatever that might be. But I just, I know from experience that there's no better way to learn what you want to do than finding someone who's done it before, who can teach you directly or has some sort of material or proven track record written down somewhere that can teach you what to do. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, and something that I'll chime in on that is, you know, a lot of people get scared in regards to getting a mentor or getting a course following a framework with the cost up front, right? Typically these people, you know, time is money for them. So they, they typically charge a higher price, so to speak. Um, but the one thing that I'll state is everyone should be looking at it as an investment. You know what I mean? And the reason I say that is typically speaking, we went through a course, we didn't have a mentor right off the bat. And because of that, we easily made like two to $3,000 worth of mistakes. And, and that cost could have easily been um, focused towards an actual mentor to mitigate those mistakes and have a smoother process. And a lot of people would get deteriorated by that fact that they failed or spent that extra money, then they would quit their business. So big fan of mentors. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I, I love to, I love to chat around things around that. So. Cool. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I've actually found that through coaching and mentoring people myself, I've actually turned away students because they come to me and they're asking, you know, can I start this business? I don't have any money or I have, you know, 200 bucks to start this up. And I'm like, unfortunately, you're just not at the place where you need to be right now. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Go out, find yourself a job, save a little bit of money and just work towards it and then come back when you have a little bit more disposable income because there's no there's no um, benefit to you if you're jumping into it and you're strapped right off the get-go. You want to be able to launch properly. You want to be able to execute properly and take advantage of opportunities where they lie. So, yeah. I love that. <laughs> love that, man. Love that. Awesome. So just so we know, you've been selling on Amazon or FBA wholesale for how long now? Uh, May 2018. So it'd be just over two and a half years. Just over two and a half years. Awesome. Yeah. Um, two and a half years, obviously, is a long time, especially as an entrepreneur in the business world. Uh, I'd love to hear some of the adversity, some of the challenges that you experienced um, over the past two and a half years, especially when you first got started, because, you know, that's where a lot of the challenges really lay. Yeah. So I would say my experience with challenges were probably where most wholesale sellers are and finding really good products to sell because we're not going out there and creating brands for ourselves. We're leveraging the brands that are already existing, the products that are already out there on the market and essentially purchasing and selling them ourselves, adding value where we can, but we, we aren't bringing a new product to market. So the really the largest challenge of this business is going out and finding the right products and not being drawn in by the easy to find or low hanging fruit products, because oftentimes they, you'll either get burned and there'll be a flood of products to market. If it's things like closeout and stuff like that, we've been burned in the past where, you know, you might buy 200 units and you expect to sell 200 in the first month, but same with 10 other people and they're doing the exact same thing as you. 
uh, either that or finding products that might be might be fantastic, but you can never go back for again. So forging those uh, long-term relationships with distributors and brands is something that we learned along the way and made a lot of bad buys, bad purchases and bad buying decisions has really been the bulk of it. Um, and then Amazon Health would be the other side of that, making sure that you're operating within terms of service, but also that you're delivering a consistent buying experience for your customer, making sure that you're, you know, on top of your customer service, because there is still a small portion of that, even if you're selling FBA and making sure that you're, you're sourcing your products from, you know, the best place possible. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. Sounds very typical, similar to us. We made a lot of those mistakes and, and we see it happen all the time. And I think that's another reason why mentorship is huge, point you in the right direction, help mitigate that risk. And ideally what a, what a good product looks like. So I love that. Um, you know, we talked obviously a lot about the wholesale side of things. I'm curious to know at like a higher level overview, what exactly FBA wholesale is, if you want to give a rundown or I guess a definition of, of, of wholesaling. Yeah, definitely. So I like to break out the different models of selling into four different categories. So there's kind of online arbitrage where you're purchasing products online from one place, selling it on Amazon, retail arbitrage, you go to your brick and mortar stores, you purchase it, send it into Amazon to sell. There's obviously the private label model, which you guys do where you're launching a new product and brand. And then there's the wholesale model. And that's working directly with authorized distributors and brands that have already established a product. And you're buying a lot of the same products that you might buy for the other arbitrage models but you are essentially inserting yourself as a legitimate distributor and reseller in between the brand and the Amazon customers. Okay, cool. Now, just so I understand, cause you know, when we go launch a product, for example, we set up our own listing, we get all of our images done, all of our copy, all that kind of stuff done. With wholesale, are you just hopping on, you know, somebody's listing already or how does exactly that work? Yeah, so I would say about 90 plus percent of our products, there's already an existing listing. There's already existing traffic. There's already sellers that are selling on this listing and it already has an organic rank. So we are essentially sourcing the products and then listing them on Amazon on existing listings and jumping on mm -hmm. as another seller. And then the other, you know, five to 10% of that would be working directly with brands. And in some cases, we're actually launching listings as they introduce new products into the market, writing all of the copy, you know, getting the images done, things like that. Cool. I'm, I'm curious here, you know, obviously um, you're essentially competing for the buy box because you're going to be on listings with other people. Um, how does that work? And what's your strategy in terms of um, ideally winning that buy box against the other people selling on the listing? Is there a specific way to go about that or? Yeah, so really the buy box is what you're competing for, like you said. Any arbitrage seller that sells on Amazon is intimately familiar with what the buy box is, how it works. And essentially, yes, you, you compete with all of the other sellers for the buy box. And there's a number of factors that go into it and in determining how often you're gonna win the buy box, how long you're gonna have it. I would say, and talking with other sellers, that's been the same experience. This is probably one of the most highly secretive um, Amazon algorithms they have 
is the buy box algorithm and how that works. But all we can do as sellers is essentially put ourselves in the best position to win that buy box. And there's a number of factors that will affect it. Um, the most predominant of which will be your price. Yeah. And then having an FBA offer would come second. And your price strategy, if you are an FBM seller versus an FBA seller is a little bit different. Generally speaking, FBA sellers can have a little bit of a higher price and still win the buy box just because Amazon favors them being an FBA seller and doing things like offering you know, um, prime fulfillment so people with prime memberships can receive their products in one to two days. And then there's other factors such as your inventory levels. So somebody, if they were the same on all of other fronts and they had two inventory in stock, two units of an item versus a hundred units, Amazon's actually going to favor the person with more stock because mm -hmm. if a customer comes along and they want to purchase nine units of a particular item, they can't do that with the one seller. And there's no opportunity for them to buy two from you, seven from the other seller, right? So if, if you're even on all fronts, um, inventory is definitely going to be a consideration. Uh, and then seller feedback is, is the other thing. So having a good seller feedback rating as, as well as a lot of uh, on your review count, a high, high level of review count would be a, a positive thing as well. Interesting. Now, if you're another listing underneath or if you're a, if you're a seller on a listing, do you have like your separate review counts or are you just taking the review counts that the, the main listing has? How does that work? Yeah, so there's essentially two different rating or review systems within Amazon. One is going to be the product review. So that is attached to the listing and attached to the product. So when people come and they review a product itself, they're reviewing a product. And then each Amazon account has a seller rating right. and each account is attached to the seller rating and that follows them through every single product that they sell. So if you go to a seller's storefront, you can actually see what their percentage rating is within the past year. And then their overall um, number of ratings is, is there as well, so. Cool, yeah, good clarification there, that's awesome. Um, perfect, I had a question about you know, paid traffic, PPC, that kind of stuff. Um, are you driving like paid traffic to your app or to your listing if you're selling on somebody else's listing? Or are you letting the, the sole owner do that for you? Yeah, so really on a lot of our listings, there's no need to do PPC advertising. Um, it, it can be a positive thing in certain situations. So I would say for the majority of products, it's not necessary and it's actually gonna end up cutting into your margins. Yeah. But if you do have the margins and it's a, it's a product that you want to pick up in velocity or you're, say, working with a brand representing them and you want to pick up the velocity of a product, that's a fantastic way as well. Um, I actually jumped into a clubhouse meeting just today that gave me some cool insights on PPC strategies for wholesalers. So that was very interesting. But what a lot of wholesalers will do is a high budget, low bid PPC campaign for certain types of products. So one seller was actually talking about how if there's a product that has a lot of excess inventory and isn't selling quite as well as they would have liked, they'll put that into one campaign and they'll do like a 50 or $100 a day bid campaign or budget. And then they'll do a really low bid, like a three, five, seven cent bid on that. Interesting. And they'll essentially just get a bunch of 
um, ASINs included on that. So, you know, dozens or hundreds of ASINs out of their catalog will be included in this so they can move inventory quicker. And then they get very, very inexpensive PPC exposure. So like three, four or 5% ACOS, and then you're able to move units a little bit quicker. So um, us, us personally, what, what one of my strategies is, is we have an entire SKU campaign. And every time we go and add a new SKU, I would say on about a monthly basis, we'll go back and we'll add new SKUs to this campaign, drop off old ones as we cycle through inventory. And we just do like a two, two cent all SKU campaign. And we keep a really, really, really low ACOS on that. So it doesn't dig into margin. And then we're able to pick up on some additional sales. I think we did a couple grand in extra sales last month, just by, or sorry, last year, just by doing this. That's awesome. Yeah. It's similar to a strategy we use. It's called, a, I call it a penny campaign, which is getting really cheap bids and, and it actually converts a lot better than what people, what people do. And it's one of those things you kind of just set it, forget it. And it, it brings in sales at a very cheap, cheap rate. So I love that. Um, you know, on the topic of margins, we talked a lot about that, obviously in the wholesale business, what kind of margin can you expect with, you know, from product to product? Is there like a target margin that you go for when you're sourcing products? How does that look? Yeah. So it's going to be different for every single seller. And I would say the further that you get into it, the more relationships you have with brands and distributors, and also the larger of a seller you are and the more money you're able to spend, the higher the margins are. So when you start off, uh, chances are your your margins are going to be a lot lower. And then when you grow a big monster business, you're able to go to, to suppliers, brands, distributors, those types of things. And, you know, if you can spend 50, 80, 100 grand on a single PO, you're going to get better pricing and your margins are going to be a lot better. Um, with that being said, not to dodge your question, there's <laughs> definitely minimum criteria that we look for on products. For example, we want to make at least $3 for every single unit. We want to make at least about a 15% net margin on each product that we bring in. And then um, we're going to be wanting to make at least a 20 to 25% ROI on, on all the money we spend. So we kind of have minimum thresholds and then certain products, you know, we do way, way better on and, and we can get 25, 30% margins. Some products were at like 10% margin, but they absolutely fly off the shelves. So mm -hmm. it really depends. That's, that's extremely interesting. I didn't know that about, about wholesale specifically, because, you know, we're, we're very focused on PPC. PPC drives a lot of sales, but also drives a lot of costs at the same time. Yeah. And that's where the margins fluctuate a lot. So that's good to know that you don't necessarily need to run PPC campaigns in order to get sales on that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, we, we chatted on a couple of points you just mentioned in regards to your process. Um, when it comes to finding products and, and margins specifically, what other things or what, what, what process do you follow in terms of finding qualified product products? Cause you mentioned that um, you found products that didn't typically do so well and you found products that have done well now. Um, so what do you, what do you do to go about that? Yeah. So we are extremely software reliant when we look at a specific product I know that when you guys are in private label, you are essentially comparing your competition versus actual products itself. And in arbitrage and in wholesale specifically, we're looking at the actual products and we're able to use tools like Keepa, like Jungle Scout, like RevSeller, for example. And they can tell us all of the information and the history of a product. And we're able to make our determinations off of that. So 
essentially what we do for our business and what I teach is how to utilize all of these different tools, how you can make them work for you, how to analyze the listing. And then essentially I'll have my minimum criteria that we use for our business and that you should incorporate in yours to essentially choose if you're going to purchase the product or not. Okay. Does that criteria fluctuate in terms of the business or um, is there like specific rule of thumbs that you follow? Like, for example, I'll put things in perspective for you. When we find, when we're finding products to, to private label, for example, you know, one of the big determining factors is reviews. So we typically find low competition products, therefore, you know, under 300, under 350 reviews. Is there anything like that that you look at? Yeah. So for us, um, I guess a comparable thing would be like a BSR rank. So a bestsellers rank. And so depending on which category you're in, obviously some categories are a lot bigger than others, but for each category, as you get to know them, there's certain BSR thresholds that you should probably aim to stay under. And that will, in a lot of cases, almost directly relate to how many sales a product's going to make. So that would be one of the things that you have as a minimum criteria. And there's, there's definitely products and, and lists of products that we look through that I will sort even with our software by the, the sales rank and just eliminate a large percentage of them just based on that fact. Cool. So that would be a similar criteria for sure. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, now, I know we've touched on this already. We've, we've kind of already gone through some pros and cons, but were there any other specific pros or cons related to wholesale that, you, that you'd like to mention for anyone who's interested in potentially getting into it? And you're talking pros and cons, wholesale versus private label straight yeah. up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would, I would, yeah, for sure. I would say one of the pros of wholesale would be uh, lower barrier to entry. Uh, quicker to start and launch and probably a lower cost to start on the front end as well. Um, one of the cons is that you're not going to own the brand. You're not going to own the intellectual property to your products. Mm -hmm. And you don't really have a lot to sell at the end of the day. If you wanted to do something like an exit. Yeah. And you, you, you make your money on a month to month, year by year type thing, not kind of building towards a future exit. Ah, okay. That's, that's actually one of my, my questions for you um, was like, what, what is the exit strategy for this? So this is purely like a, a model that you would do to receive some solid passive income um, and that you could rely on for the future. Yeah, that's a, Yeah, that's exactly right. I've seen some wholesaler, wholesale sellers actually exit. And at that point, you're essentially just selling your relationships with brands and big accounts that you already have open. You know, you're selling maybe some of your processes um, access to, you know, trained employees. And then you could, you could even sell, you know, the corporation or LLC or whatever it is as a whole, where it has business credit, it has open lines um, of funding, things like that. But in terms of intellectual property, that's, that's just not there with, with the wholesale brand. Interesting. Awesome. Well, um, my next question here was, you know, when you're, when you're looking for, products of course now like how do i phrase this what would you consider like a safe catalog or amount of products in your particular brand like i know you mentioned or i was reading up on you of course doing my research um and you mentioned you know, obviously you start off with a couple of products but with wholesaling like you can have thousands of products really at the end of the day um is there like a safe amount or is it the more the better um what's kind of that sweet spot 
Yeah. So what I would say is when you're getting into products, you're always going to want to be doing test orders. That's one of the advantages of being in wholesale. You can go in, you can order 12, 24, 36 of a product and just sell through it. And then just look at your data, look at your numbers, see how well it sells, how much margin you're actually making, how you're competing, and then scale that product and scale it until you can't scale it anymore. I usually like to keep about a month of inventory on hand. So what we'll do is we'll scale those products until we've kind of reached a threshold and then we'll move on to more products. So there's no cap, there's no limit. I know some of the largest sellers have 50, 70,000 different unique SKUs in their catalogs. And you really, that's the way you make money is adding more products. But mm -hmm. for newer sellers, I would explore the potential of the products that you do have in front of you, scale those up to the point where you can just make a test or, or sorry, you can make a reorder every month because those are the easiest things to do. Just email your supplier. Yeah, we'll take another hundred. Yeah, we'll take another hundred. No product research needed, nothing like that. So once you've maxed those out, go on to the next ones and there's, there's absolutely no limit in wholesale. That's awesome. One of the biggest things that, you know, we've challenged or we've been challenged with, but also, you know, a lot of people experience this in the private label space is like, you order a product, a lot of the times the, the criteria that we use when we're doing a product launch, uh, and you can, you can go and test it, but to make good money in, um, in private label, we like to double down, right? So we order two and a half months worth of inventory to cover our production time, to cover our shipping time, and then also a little bit of a buffer just in case we run out of stock. Um, and clearly that's one of the huge pros to, to wholesale. You don't have to hold as much inventory on time um, although obviously these products are of course already produced. Is that right? So you're just buying in bulk and probably shipping won't be as long as, as, as a pair or compared to what we do. Like our lead time is like 60 days for most of our products. Yeah. So I can give you an example. We have a supplier out in California, our warehouse prep center is in California and we can email him on 11 o'clock on a Tuesday and the product will hit the warehouse by 10 a.m. the next day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's, that's assuming that that's best case scenario, assuming products are in stock and stuff like that. Sometimes we will have to wait a few weeks for products to come in, but yeah, we've never had to wait 60 days for a product. That's for sure. Damn. That's appealing. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Now going into the process and finding these like suppliers and also talking a little bit about product research, so take me through that process. When you find a product, are you looking on Amazon first and then finding a supplier or are you finding suppliers and then looking if it's profitable on Amazon? So I'm going to answer that by saying both. Okay. There's, there's, <laughs> there's multiple different methods in which you can find products and find suppliers. You can either go out, find the product first and then backsource and figure out who sells that. Or you can go out and actively search for suppliers and just see what their product offerings are. So there's, there's about four to six different kind of proven methods that you can go through that will take you both ways that are kind of favorited by me and have, have showed us results. But definitely both. And it doesn't matter how you land on it. If you can link up finding a, pro a good product and you know where to get it from, you can get it at a good price. That's the criteria. Love that. Cool. That's cool. awesome. And then would you say like when you're working with these suppliers, um, obviously I'm assuming a lot of these do work with Amazon sellers or people that do something similar to FBA wholesale. 
Um, do you ever have an opportunity to like negotiate exclusivity with these suppliers or is that just completely off the table? Yeah. So you're going to see that more so when you're working with brands, the reason okay. being is because they have the power to give you the exclusivity. Uh, we're actually working on launching a Canadian brand in the U S market right now. So we are going to be taking over exclusive Amazon rights on the American marketplace as well as we've, we've had brands that we've worked with in, in the past that we have exclusivity with. So it is a conversation that you can have and it really ends up being kind of the Holy grail of selling wholesale. Yeah. What you want to do is aim to be the only seller on a listing, selling somebody's brand who has traction and, and a proven brand awareness, but it, it is something that you definitely work toward. Yeah. Cool. You're not going to expect, don't expect to find that off the bat. That's for sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Got to build that relationship. Always back to relationship. That's right. Tell me a little bit about that process. Cause I'm curious. Um, you said that you work towards it. Were you working with this brand and selling their products? Are they in the Canadian market right now? Yeah. So what actually happened with a specific brand that I just mentioned, they actually started out and still operate uh, a fairly large distribution company. So they rep probably, you know, seven to 10 different brands on their line that they sell to brick and mortar stores, online sellers, whatever it might be. And then they actually created their own brand within that specific category. And because we were already working with them on the distribution side, they said, oh, well, we have this brand. Would you like to buy some product with it as, or from us as well? So, okay, you know, we'll give it a shot. And we, we did some, and we we're still doing a little bit of volume with them here on the Canadian market. But then we took the initiative to confront them one day and ask if they'd be interested in the US market what they currently have in place, if they have anything set up. And so by building and nurturing that relationship, we eventually got to a point where we're now in talks, actually had a call today and they're sending over the agreement for us to be an exclusive US seller. So, um, yeah, man, overall, like th that was awesome. Again, like Eric mentioned, very much, very more so a, a learning curve for us or a learning experience for us. I'm getting introduced to the wholesale. So I appreciate the time. Um, now our podcast is very tailored to like young entrepreneurs, people or not even entrepreneurs, so to speak, but people that have the ambition to eventually be business owners. So one question that we always like to kind of cap off and finish off the podcast with is um, given your experience, you're young, you started young. What is some of the advice that you could give to someone that either has recently started an Amazon business or any kind of entrepreneurial journey or someone who has the ambition to start um, what kind of advice could you give to them? Yeah, I would say we're going to, I would wrap this up by going back to where we started talking about mentorship, coaching, and courses. I think it's extremely important to find people in the space that you want to go in and just have converse, start by having conversations with them. If they're open to it, learn their experiences, learn what works, what doesn't work learn a little bit about the subject matter to really find out if it's something for you. And then if you want to explore it further and it's something you've decided to do and you've done your market research on it, I highly, highly recommend going out, finding a course, a mentorship, somebody who's walked the beaten path, so to speak, and has done the things that you want to do. And really the best thing you can do, like I said, save up till you're at a point and you're, and you're ready and have the funds and then do it the right way and, and get the help that you need 
and let somebody who has made those mistakes essentially teach you what to do to avoid those, I would say. Yeah, and that's awesome. I agree with that, for sure. Perfect, man. Well, um, on the topic of mentorship and, and programs, courses, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more just so that the audience knows. Obviously, I'm aware of, of your program, um, but just so everybody knows, Mike runs uh, a beta program we talked about at the very beginning called Elite Wholesale. Um, talk a little bit about your program, where people can find it, um, as well as you know the value that you could provide in that. Yeah, so like they mentioned there, I run Elite Wholesale. I'm currently in beta stages of rolling out that program. So essentially what it is, is kind of an A to Z course on how you can get started, get set up, and then eventually grow an Amazon FBA wholesale business. Included with that, I do live bi-weekly training. So we all jump in a group call. We talk about certain topics that affect sellers. Uh, there's opportunity for live Q&A and students can get all their answers, questions answered. And then on top of that, we do have a community section that's full of current students. I actually have other six and seven figure sellers in that group as well. So there's a uh, 24-7 opportunity to ask questions, to network, to talk about growing and scaling your business with people in there. And then I do have access to additional resources such as scripts, templates, uh, different forms that we use inside of our business, as well as access to you know discounts, extended free trials on the software that we use for it. So I've kind of rolled that all together in one simple to navigate, easy to use package called Elite Wholesale. Um, if anyone listening is interested, you just want some more information, just want to check it out, you can go to www.eliteholesale.ca or you can check me out on YouTube. It's just Mike Sieben or Instagram. I'm just M.M. Sieben. Awesome, Mike. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I'll make sure to put all those links also in the description of the videos um, and the podcast, of course. Really appreciate the time. I've learned a lot myself, and I hope a lot of people found value in this episode. Um, yeah, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.